Hi, I'm Rob Sadow, and you're listening to the Flex Perspectives podcast, where we interview the world's best thinkers, researchers, and operators on how to make flexible work work. Flex Perspectives is brought to you by Flex Index, the world's most robust source for full-time hybrid and remote work requirements. The Flex Index represents more than 7,500 companies, 55,000 office locations, and 100 million people. It's a great place to start if you're looking for your next flexible work career opportunity. Today, my guest is Dan Burris. Dan is a six-time entrepreneur, best-selling author, and futurist with an excellent track record of predicting trends that will massively impact the world. In this episode, we discuss Dan's top trends for 2024. We get into the impact of AI, the changing nature of jobs, how you can best prepare yourself to thrive in the AI-influenced world to come, and we even get Dan's prediction for how the office will be used in the future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help us out by subscribing and giving us a rating. It helps us understand what episodes our listeners find most valuable and helps new listeners find the podcast. Dan, I am so excited to be with you today. Well, thank you. And I'm excited about it too. We've got so much opportunity ahead. Can't wait to dive in. You know, Dan, I was looking into your background and you have done so many interesting things that I wanted to talk about. But I think the first question that I imagine a lot of people may not know the answer to is, what is a futurist? Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and kind of like how you found this line of work or where you spend your time? Yeah, exactly. Well, in a way, we're all futurists. If you think about it, anytime anybody makes a prediction, you know, we're going to have aliens land in two days, uh, you are being a futurist. Now, to be a professional futurist, you actually have to have a track record with some accuracy. And luckily, I've got now a holy cow, 40-year track record with thousands of articles and six books of, of being right about uh, where the future is going. By the way, I'm going to tell you my secret ingredient right now. I leave out the parts I can be wrong about. Uh, <laughs> but what is amazing is how much you and I and the people watching this are going to learn how to be right about where things are going. So tell me, how did you get into this in the first place? Like, what is the career path that leads you to being a futurist, so to speak? Yeah, well, I uh, started out teaching biology and physics long ago, and then I had an idea for an airplane design. So I blew it. I, I built it, test flew it, ended up with 37 national locations in the first year. Literally, that company took off. And I ended up starting a number of companies, uh, but I missed teaching. Uh, that's what I was put on the planet to do. That's why I'm here with you today. That's why I'm writing books and so on. So uh, I sold those companies and started Burris Research uh, years ago. And I knew back 40 years ago that we had major changes and tectonic shifts coming up because of what was happening with lasers, robots, genetics, fiber optics, uh, even the Internet, by the way, which did all exist 40 years ago, but they were in their infancy. And I could see these little bouncing baby uh, transformers would change our world on us. And I started uh, writing and speaking and doing what I do about it uh, back then. And it's been a fun ride. And I think the really key here is you and I and all of us, we're going to spend the rest of our lives in the future. Maybe we should think about it a little more. Maybe we should plan for it a little more. Was there a particular moment, Dan, where you felt like this was your thing, like you had, you had built companies, you said, and then you started to get into the idea of teaching again. And was there a particular prediction that you remember or a certain seminal event where you're like, no, 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 this is where I want to go spend the rest of my energy and my career is in, is in this type of work? Uh, there actually, there was something very profound. Um, I started again, remember, I taught uh, in the science area 
And uh, I always, and really always, was interested in new technologies that had uh, could have a future impact. I always kind of kept track of that. That's just part of who I am, part of my DNA, I guess. I, so when I sold uh, a number of those companies and started Burris Research, I took a year. And, you know, that was long ago. I had a lot of energy, a lot of time. So I spent a year uh, researching the latest innovations globally in all areas of technology, lasers, robots, genetics, fiber optics, all of these things. And I was diving into it on an eight to 10 hour a day, seven day a week level. And after a, close to that year end, I had an epiphany. I really had a real epiphany. Not all of us have them. I had one. I literally saw the future. I saw our smartphones. I saw AI. I saw where we're at today and more I because I had gone in such a deep study of it. And what am I going to do? I saw the future. Am I going to run out in the street and say, hey, I saw the future. Let me tell you about it. So I had to then start coming up with a methodology, created the uh, mm. business plan and how I would help people to not just be passive receivers of the future. By the way, too many of us do that. I want all of us to be active shapers of the future, of a better future for all of us. I love that. I can almost, by the way, Dan, I'm like envisioning right now the movie biography about your life in the moment <laughs> that you had this like epiphany and you could see the future and what happened. It's a very cool mental image. I feel like the way you described it. Yeah, it, it, it was amazingly powerful. And I think, uh, uh, and again, I was put on the planet to teach, not to tell. So this uh, conversation we'll have, will have elements that I want to empower all of those that are watching this uh, to give you some ways to uh, more actively, again, shape your future rather than just receive it. So let's dive right into that. So we are at the, we're at the dawn of 2024. Uh, this is always the time of year, whether it be media, otherwise, where what are your predictions for the next year, for the future, becomes very in vogue to talk about. Uh, we're also at the dawn of a number of really interesting technologies. Um, I'm going to throw one out right at you. It's a bit of a controversial one. Um, is 2024 or soon after the year that AI replaces humans? Well, let's think about that. Will humans be replaced by AI? The answer is humans will be replaced by humans using AI. And uh, explain what that, that means. Yeah, there, I mean, there it is. There it is right there. Because uh, we are really getting into what I would call augmented thinking, where humans are very different than AI. If you want to think of it on a, on a molecular level, carbon-based life forms, humans are different than silicon-based life forms. <laughs> And uh, even though both can reproduce, we won't get into that right now. But, uh, but the point I'm making is that uh, we're going to be in a symbiotic relationship. Let me give you an example, because I think examples is what makes these, these words like augmented thinking uh, real. And that is, uh, let's say that you know someone that has cancer, and heaven forbid. Well, let's say you know someone that has cancer. I'm going to give you three choices. Number one, a really great oncologist. All right, that's choice number one. That's a person that, of course, treats people with cancer. Number two, just AI, which, by the way, knows more about oncology than any living oncologist right now, much less next year and the year after. Choice number three, a really good oncologist that has access to AI. Bingo, that's the future. Because just like now, think of your role right now and what you do. 
it's going to be augmented with that. You're going to have a little thing in your ear that can talk to you. It, uh, you can ask it questions. You can get advice in real time. If I'm a lawyer and I'm pleading a case, thanks to AI, I have access to every past president that has ever been set on planet Earth. But I don't have to remember and memorize that, thank God, because most humans could not do that. But AI can. So when I'm pleading a case, it can be helping me, feeding me that past president that'll help me win that case. You see where I'm going. So regardless of what your role is, even a plumber who is fixing your plumbing, what can they do? Well, they can get a little help from AI on how to solve that problem with your hot water heater. I mean, it's going to really impact everything in a very profound way. So let's use that oncology example, because I think that's a pretty fascinating one um, in, in practice. I can imagine there's a spectrum of outcomes here. The, you, you kind of described it or created the visual of a doctor that has almost like a bug in their ear that is helping them understand based on past learnings, what they're seeing, kind of like what to do. I imagine there's a spectrum or, or kind of continuum all the way to physically the AI being involved and kind of like the fusion of a doctor or a person and AI doing something or kind of like AI actually taking certain physical parts of a surgery, for example, relative to what the doctor is doing. Do you think that there's a kind of like a, a place where we're going to end up on that? Is it going to vary a bit? Like how, how do you see some of that evolving in practice? Well, much of that is, in a way, already happening. I mean, there are surgical tools that uh, are robots performing surgery, but the doctor is directing that robot because it's so delicate that a human hand can't be that precise, but a robot can. Again, what? Uh, let's think of it this way. Let's back up just a second. Every profession, and I'm going to underline the word every, every profession, there is a science and an art. All right? Now, in school, we learn the science. Now, well, let's use the doctor metaphor. All doctors, you know what? They got good grades. Like, after all, they graduated. They got their MD. They're all, they got the science now. What, what, so if it was just a matter of science, it wouldn't matter who your doctor is. However, it does, doesn't it? Why is that? Because of the art part. The art is being able to uh, see a solution to a seemingly impossible problem. It's being able to find that answer that's the better answer for that individual that you're treating. Um, and it's also having some things that humans have really good, like empathy, the ability to communicate, collaborate, innovate, and other things that uh, we have an edge in, but again, AI can help us in. That's where we kind of come together. So in the biological world, a symbiotic relationship is where two separate creatures live and work together to survive and to thrive. It's, a sem it's increasingly a symbiotic relationship. Does AI, as a result, reduce the variation in quality or capability then across doctors or plumbers, for example, like you gave examples of um, intuition, creative thinking, et cetera, um, that separate the best maybe from the average in practice. Does AI start to narrow that down and you end up with a more consistent quality or kind of like a higher quality bar that's consistent across providers or doctors or whatever it might be? And the answer is yes, already happening. Uh, now I could give you a lot of statistics, but uh, let's take uh, problems with the skin. Like, is it skin cancer or is it just a mole or is it just a rash? I mean, what the heck is it? And right now, right now, whether you're looking at the skin or you're looking at an X-ray or an MRI, 
AI can give you much more accurate results and diagnostics of that thing, of whatever it is, that's that rash that you have. Now, does that mean we don't need a radiology department? Does that mean we don't need skin doctors? And the answer is, oh, yes, we do. Because, now here's another important point. We live in an increasingly technological world. Oh, yeah. But we live in a human world. You know, we live in both. And by the way, uh, it's a, a human world is all based on relationships. And good relationships, by the way, there are bad ones, but good relationships are based on high levels of trust. And if you don't have high level of trust, you need a different provider, whether it's healthcare or plumber, I don't care. So you see, it's that human element that we connect to. It's uh, that's, that's where we get trust. That's where even AI is helping that doctor and giving them a higher level of accuracy. And by the way, we could substitute the word doctor to accountant or any other profession that you want or anybody else that's listening to this. Um, but, you know, I want to, uh, you know, do I have 100% trust in a in just AI? Well, we live in a human world. I'd love to have a little a human helping me to guide me through this. But I'd like to have a human that has access to that AI. You see where I'm going with that? Totally. <clears throat> it makes me wonder in this symbiosis that you're describing between AI and the human doing a piece of work, for example, whatever that piece of work may be. Imagine there's 100% of work to be done. Some portion of that is you know, primarily driven by human. Some portion of it might be primarily driven by AI or some combination therein. Are there particular professions or types of work that you think are the least impacted by that AI complement or kind of AI uh, symbiotic relationship? And are there particular roles where you think the AI might do the vast, vast majority of work and, and maybe that scales the person in a meaningful way, but um, the actual human contribution to that is comparatively less. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, let's just, uh, again, do a little self-diagnostics for all of us right now. If you do something that is repetitive, in other words, you tend to do it two or three, four times, and it's the same thing, perfect for AI to automate. And two or three years ago, you needed an IT department and a company to help come up with how do you automate that task. However, now on an individual personal level, because there are so many fantastic AI tools that are almost free and available to everyone, uh, you can automate routine tasks. So if you're doing a routine task, it's going to be automated. And by the way, great. I mean, nothing more boring than a routine task. Um, freeing us to do the higher level thinking. There's something called the taxonomy of the cognitive domain. And the lowest level is remembering facts and things like that. But the highest level is analysis, uh, advanced problem solving, synthesis, those things that humans are really good at doing. So again, we're going to elevate ourselves. By the way, there's an old saying, you can't teach an old dog a new trick. For those of us that are maybe looking at people that are older, and I would say, well, the good news is we are not dogs. We can learn new things. However, if you don't like learning new things and you're rigid and fixed, you're probably not going to like the future that much. We need to loosen up a little bit and realize we can all learn new things without question. And it's kind of fun to learn new things. Are, th are there jobs or professions where you think that is more urgent, where you look at the mix today and you're like, hey, look, if you don't start to revisit your skill set, up-level what you do, how you think about work, you're in real trouble tomorrow, for argument's sake, versus others where you think maybe that's a little bit further down the horizon in terms of potential impact. 
Well, again, take a look at uh, the type of work that you're doing. Are you analyzing numbers, statistics? In other words, for example, if I'm in accounting uh, or auditing, uh, AI is increasingly going to be doing uh, what? Real-time audits in real time, right there on the spot, or accounting. It's going to be really accounting as historic bookkeeping. It's verifying the accuracy of what happened last year. Um, so does that mean we don't need accountants or auditors? And I would say, oh, yes, we do. What we need is for them to take the, uh, the numbers and turn them into foresights and insights that are actionable. In other words, we're going to be more consultative. Uh, now that we have all of this AI accuracy, let me help give you some guidance. And by the way, AI has helped me to help you give you that guidance. But I know you on very a meta personal level. Practice. I know you deeper than the others. I know a little bit. You see what I mean? And so um, uh, take a look at your, your job and just know all of us, everything that we do is going to be impacted by it. You can't run. You can't hide. Uh, but what you can do is you can use it to your advantage. And let's also just mention AI is capable of doing really bad things. Holy cow, horrible, horrible things. Um, so what, what about that? Well, what I would say is uh, I would, and now we've just met, but my instinct is you're a good person. Well, thank I'm you. Good I appreciate person. that. I'm a good person. By the way, I'll bet the people watching this, you know what? You're good people. So I choose to use it to do wonderful things. I choose to use it to elevate the people around me. I choose to use it to add value to what I do in my profession. And what do I do about all those bad people out there? Well, since I can't control them, I want to protect and defend and anticipate using some tools to make sure that I am uh, locked down and being as careful as I can and that, uh, and that I'm making sure that my bias protect uh, antenna is up so that I can see, you know, is there, uh, is there predetermined bias in what I'm getting? Is that a real factual information that I'm getting? I've got to double check sources, things like that. You know, it strikes me as you say that, Dan, that uh, with every major technological innovation or kind of wave through history, right? Like some jobs uh, become less common or less frequent. Other jobs are created as a result of that. It makes me wonder, and I'm curious if you think this is correct or not, that in the way you describe it, maybe jobs that are heavily, heavily routine, that are uh, where there's a large component of automation. You know, I think about maybe certain types of, of customer support tickets, things like that, that could be handled kind of like relatively routinely. Maybe the, the number of people that are required to do that in an AI complemented world goes down. But to your point, it creates a new type of customer support issue, right? Who is auditing performance, thinking about bias and what's happening or reapplying this in the right way? Um, and so, you know, it strikes me that, that even though AI will be so impactful, it probably still doesn't take away jobs. It's probably net additive, just a very different type of job. Um, is that right? Or do you think that the sheer quantity of work, so to speak, to go around will actually be lower uh, in the future as a result? Well, it, it will uh, take away a lot of those jobs, including white collar jobs, because it turns out white collar jobs are very repetitive. A lot of them are. Let's face it, if we just go back in time and look at robots, they uh, took the place of repetitive blue-collar jobs, and AI is taking the place of repetitive white-collar jobs. But uh, again, what do we do? We need to upgrade ourselves and upgrade our people. See, our goal, 
talking about all of us, is that I need to be better than the AI. And does that mean I have to memorize everything in the internet? No, AI is good at that. Why would I want to do that? I've got access to AI. I want to do what AI is not that good at. So that means um, emotional intelligence would be important. Strategic listening skills, asking better questions. Ask a better question and get a better answer. Uh, learning how to truly communicate versus inform. Learning how to truly collaborate with others versus cooperate. Uh, learning how to truly innovate rather than imitate. Learning how to transform an industry or a profession or your own job rather than just change it. And I've mentioned a bunch of things there that are actually quite important. And, uh, and you might want to go back and, and just think about, what. so what is the difference between informing and communicating or those types of words that I just threw out? Because I think they're, they're going to make all the difference. So let, let's imagine that you know, someone listening just heard you explain that and is now having their own personal epiphany and saying, oh, this is a real wake up call to me in terms of how I spend my time, my skill development, things I need to focus on for the future. How do you get started? What do you suggest that people do? Do they read? Do they study? Are there certain skills that you think are going to be more valuable? You described some capabilities just now, but how do you even embark on that journey, uh, especially in such an uncertain future still? Well, boy, the last couple of words you used was a perfect setup for what I'm going to talk about. We live in an amazingly uncertain world. I mean, what's going to happen with the stock market? What's going to happen with cryptocurrency? What's going to happen with the election? What's going to happen with our home prices? What's going to happen with the wars that are going on? What's it? Uh, you know, there's all this uncertainty. And most people think the only thing that you can be certain about is death and taxes. That's it. Nothing else. Uh, but here's the problem with that. Uh, if you have a personal or business strategy based on uncertainty, you know what? You got high risk. On the other hand, if you have a business or personal strategy based on certainty, you have low risk and high reward. So what I've been doing is trying to get people to understand the power of certainty in an uncertain world. I think we've got uncertainty down. We're living it. I think you got that down. Just like I think we've got agility down. And by the way, here's what I mean by that. Agility is being a, it came from sports, is being able to react as quickly as you can to a problem after it occurs. It's being able to react as quickly as you can to a disruption after it disrupts. And that's good, but in a world where we're now going beyond exponential in terms of technological change curve, thanks to AI and other tools, it's becoming a little less valuable. I didn't say not valuable. I want us to continue to be agile. However, what I want us to do is to learn the other side of the coin. I call that being able to anticipate. Anticipate what? Anticipate problems before you have them. So you can pre-solve them. I mean, how many times have we all said, well, I knew that would happen. And I would say, then why did you let it? So most of the problems you're going to face a year from now, you could actually define right now. You could come up with, oh, now I see. I'm going to show you how in a second. Now I can see I'm going to have that and pre-solve it so you can move forward faster. You can also anticipate disruptions before they disrupt, which gives you what? Now a choice to be either the disruptor or the disrupted, to either be more relevant or less relevant. So how do you do that? And now here's the core. I'm going to make it simple for everyone because I'm on a mission to get as many people on planet Earth to be anticipatory versus reactionary. And that is 
trends. You mentioned them in the beginning of this uh, podcast, and that is that there's no shortage of trends, and predictably, around December, we'll have a new list of trends. By the way, that'll be true five years from now and 10 years from now, there'll be talk, people talking about it. All right, what's the new ones for 2035? So, because um, it's December. So here's what I would suggest. There's no shortage of trends. Here's the problem. Well, which ones will happen, which ones won't, and when? Well, I've solved that. I've got a methodology I've developed over the years, and it's being used by the Pentagon, it's being used by Google, it's being used by Apple. By the way, you can use it. Let me show you how right now. All trends are either one of two categories. They're either a hard trend based on a future fact that will happen. By the way, that's called certainty. Or they're based on an assumption that may or may not happen which means it's an if or a maybe. Both have value. What's the advantage of a soft trend then that may happen? I didn't say it won't, I just said it might. And the advantage of a soft trend is if you don't like it, you can change it. What's the advantage of a hard trend? Well, I can see disruption before it disrupts, giving me the choice to be the disruptor or the disrupted. I can see problems I'm gonna have before I have them and I can pre-solve them or I can let them play out, which I don't think you're gonna like in this world. So let me give you some examples of hard trends, uh, just so that you know what I'm talking about. In the United States, uh, there's uh, over 70 million baby boomers, all right? And uh, chronologically, they will get older. They're not going to get all of a sudden chronologically younger. They're going to get older. Now, we can predict a lot of problems that they're going to have and pre-solve them, or we can just let them play out. Uh, we can see opportunities from that. Let me give you an example. A lot of people love to go boating. They love to go fishing. But as they get into their 80s and beyond, it's kind of hard to launch the boat. Uh, well, what if we created the easy launch trailer for seniors? By the way, that does not exist right now. What if we created the easy launch trailer for seniors and made it really a good product? Would we have a built-in growing market every year? Absolutely. I can even give you the numbers on it. Uh, would we know which countries to export that product to? Well, yeah, we know the aging populations. I'm going to Japan. By the way, I'm going to Canada. Um, even China's got an aging population. I'm not going to go to Mexico. They've got a younger population. I'm not going to go to Istanbul, younger population. I know exactly where to go. I have certainty in an uncertain world. What if you played that game a little bit? By the way, uh, there will be one of those. Why? Because the opportunity is there and someone will, maybe one of you, will create that. So take a look at demographics and look at the various opportunities. A lot of companies market to, uh, to all of their, uh, put marketing material out there and it isn't divided up by the different demographic ages. Well, if you're a baby boomer, you're probably marketing and you're, you're thinking you're marketing to everybody, but you're missing Gen Z. You're missing Gen Y. Why? They don't think like you. They don't use tech like you. We need to have it divided up to hit the sweet spots of the types of markets that we want to reach. So I'm not going to go any deeper into that, but boy, it's a big one. Second one will freak you out, government regulation. And you might say, well, uh, you can't predict the future of regulation, especially in the United States. We've got so much division. And I'd say, oh, yes, you can. You just can't predict it all. See, a big list of things I can't predict, that doesn't empower me. I'd like a bunch of things I can predict. Let me give you an example. Will we have more regulation around cybersecurity? Answer is yes. Why? Because there's some hard trends at play that both sides can't ignore. 
But then there's some other things they can debate. So, uh, the, by the way, Elon Musk has made all of his billions of dollars by getting funded by government regulation. Every company he started was funded by regulation. Maybe yours could be. Maybe you ought to think about this. Maybe that idea that you got on how to start a business, maybe that's got government funding. You can play the Elon Musk game. You don't have to be rich to start with. He wasn't. Uh, what else uh, is there? The third one is technology. And technology lets us redefine reality. So it's a good idea to keep track of some, you know, what's going on beyond AI. We've got the Internet of Things. We've got edge computing. Uh, we've got uh, genomics and proteomics. We've got, uh, you know, all of these amazing tools that uh, are there for us to use. And I think if you want to really get a, a sense of that, of course, you can also go to births.com and you can download some of my materials on that. Uh, without having to pay anything. So I'm giving you some free resources there. And in terms of AI tools, uh, I've done a, uh, uh, since January, I've identified and researched a thousand AI tools, a thousand. And I've come up with the best five in a number of categories that all of us could use. And like I said, most of them are cheap or free. Uh, and I've got that in a free report, including how companies and individuals are using it, some case studies. If you went to AIStrategyReport.com, just download it. Take a look. I bet you'll find something you can use. So, so if we were to take, Dan, I want to I take this kind of like macro point that you're making, which makes a ton of sense, by the way, that you have, you have specifics around the world, some things that are very clearly predictable, some things maybe a little bit less certain, usually data-driven in practice. If I want to personalize that, now. And you were starting to kind of go this direction a little bit in terms of the AI stuff. But let's talk about a person who is listening, who is thinking about the job they do today, how they can be certain about how that job might evolve, which hard trends impact it over the next year, two years, three years. And as a result, the course of action that they should take tomorrow, right, to start to prepare. It sounds yeah, like one exactly. piece of that in the way you're describing is um, education and familiarity with tools around AI. Yeah. Are there Let other things? To, yeah. uh, one other little thing. And by the way, use the word identify things that might happen in my career. Let's change that. How about things that I know will happen? That's where hard trends come in. So here's how I'd like you to start out. A big list of things I'm not certain about does not empower me. But a list of things I am certain about, oh, now that can empower me. So what I would like you to do is to think of those three categories Technology, think beyond just AI, but definitely think of that. Uh, think about demographics, okay, have that one in there, and think about regulation and the types of regulations that are out there. And then what I'd like you to do is to identify what I call those hard trends, those future facts. And by the way, here's your litmus test. If it can be changed, it's a soft trend. If it can't be changed, no matter what, it's a hard trend. And, you know, I've had clients that have identified literally thousands of them. There's far more than just two or three. You can do this. So make your little list of things you are certain about. And then remember a really key thing that I've taught you subtly. Let me make it not subtle anymore. A trend by itself is boring, academic. That's why most people don't do it until you add an actionable opportunity to it. The minute you add an opportunity to a trend, it bursts into light. So make your little list of certainties, those hard trends, and an opportunity for you. 
And where do you start? Well, you mentioned it a little earlier. Take your profession, what you do for a living. What are the hard trends, certainties that I can see around technology, around AI, around you know any of those lists of things that I talked about? And again, you can download a list for free if you want the, the list of my 25 trends shaping the future. I'm not charging you for that. Just go download it and take a look through that and ask yourself in my profession, is what's what are the ones in there that are going to not just change, but perhaps transform what I do? And look through that, come up with a list of opportunities. You'll come up with a list of opportunities. Secondly, you're going to come up with some soft trends in there. I love soft trends. Why? You can change those. So what are those soft trends? And the opportunity is to change them to your advantage. So you'll get a list of opportunities, I guarantee you. Now here's the secret. Big list never get done. Pick one and then do something about it. Why? Well, if it's a hard trend, if it can be done, it will be done. If you don't do it, someone else will. Uh, so that is a great little homework assignment for you. And again, you can look at some of my uh, resources and blogs and things to get a little bit more help on uh, really getting good at identifying hard and soft trends. I love that. And I think that's such important advice, by the way, on narrowing down to one thing, because I think we are all guilty at different times of, of adding too much to our plates and accomplishing nothing as a result. Well, you yeah, know. yeah, we, we get way too much. You know, it's kind of like a problem uh, being able to saw like one of the things uh, I've talked about in my uh, books and strategies is how to take your biggest problem and skip it. And I love problem skipping. Uh, most uh, anybody that's tried it, that's that's one of many of their favorites. Uh, by the way, how can you skip your biggest problem? Well, your biggest problem probably is ill-defined. You know, you're working on the wrong one. Otherwise, you would have solved it by now. So you need to dig down and find what the real problem is, which is fully solvable. And let me give you a little tip on that. Again, I have a lot more on this, but let me give you something that can help you right now. That's the teacher in me, all right? And that is, if you take a look at your problem, make it a problem statement, write down what your problem is. And then look for the word and. And you, what does that mean? You probably have two problems there, and that's why you can't solve it. You need to break them into one problem. Uh, for example, let's take a simple thing. Uh, let's take maybe a child. Johnny is having trouble with math and not getting along with the other kids. How do I solve that? Well, that's a tough one. Notice the word and in there. You got two problems. Johnny's not getting along with other kids. Well, I can work on that. Johnny's having trouble in math. I can work on that. But when I put the two together, whoa, I can't work on that at all. It's really too difficult. Take a look at your business problems, your career problems. Take a look at all of them. Write them into a problem statement and just take a look at the multiple problems in there. That's why you can't solve it. And then ask yourself, is it the real problem or is there something underneath that's the real problem? I can't get funding for my project. That's the problem. They aren't giving me money. No, the problem is your idea, your project is not urgent. If it was highly urgent, well, then it would pop up higher. See, what's the real problem? So I'm giving you a number of things that I think can help you in defining you know, where you're going. And make sure that you're uh, thinking big enough about what you're trying to do, your goals. I mean, we're starting out a new year. And you're probably all thinking big about your future. And I'm going to give you a little hint. You're thinking too small. There's a bigger big. 
So you can't see the bigger big until you have the big defined. So get your big, here's where I'm going in my career. Here's what I'm doing with my business. Here's what I'm doing as an employee or an employer. Here's where we're going. That's big. And now you got it defined. Step back and say, what's the bigger big? Look at the hard trends. Look at the opportunities. You'll find it. And I found that the bigger big is easier than the big. Hmm. And let me give one last little tip that I think is an important one. Most of us are focusing on success and living a successful life. I would like you to try something a little different. Success is all about you. How many degrees you have, how much money you make, how successful your business is, uh, what kind of car you drive, it's all about you. I would like you to focus on being significant instead of successful. Significance is about what you do for others. If you can elevate what you do for others, your significance as a business or as an individual or as an employee or as an employer, if you can be more significant every year, you know what? You'll be far more successful. So success is an output of significance rather than success is the goal. Try that as you get into your early 2024 planning and ask yourself, I'm a successful fill in the blank. Am I significant? And what would it take for me to be significant? And you'll find yourself far more successful. So Dan, I love that. I feel like we covered a lot of ground in this regard. I'm going to try as best as I can to summarize back to you what I think I Good luck. Tell me if I get it right or not, right? But yep. if I think about moving into 2024, if I want to better prepare myself for where the world is heading, I should think about what are hard trends versus soft trends. I should think about what is the one that is most impactful, most important, and then even think bigger beyond it in terms of what the biggest deal is. Focus on that one thing not a bunch of different things, but that one concrete thing and lay out a roadmap for how I can get there most effectively, whether it's a hard trend just to follow it or a soft trend to impact it so that I can be effective, that's going to be the most significant for others. And if I go through that thought process, that gives me the best possible chance, whether it be related to AI or any other future trend to uh, put myself in the best position to be significant for the future. Is that a fair distillation in some ways? Yep. yep. I think you did an excellent job. Uh, very, very good. You know, we all are blessed with the ability to uh, shape the future, but so few of us do. Uh, so let's make sure uh, failing to have a plan is uh, is not good, you know, uh, but um, making sure you build a little change into that plan as well. Why? Because the world changes. Yeah, absolutely. So one final question I'm curious about um, is our podcast, our conversation Quite often, we spend a lot of time talking about future of work and a particular dimension of future of work, which is how do we think about work location, working from the office, working from home, the shift toward uh, hybrid work and more distributed work has obviously been a pretty meaningful change now versus four or five years ago, even. How do you view that trend? Is that a hard trend in your mind? Is it a soft trend? How will it impact potentially different jobs in, in terms of Will AI or other trends you think be more impactful in people who spend their time in the office full-time versus others? I'm just curious how that variable or dimension, if you will, where you think we're at, how you think about trends related to that into the future. Well, if you think about a, a business and having started six companies, I can say that, and that is um, what remote work allows us to do is now we can tap into a global workforce not just a local workforce. So it gives me the ability to find the kind of talent that I need from wherever I, I need it. 
But what about office buildings? And will people be coming back and the mandates to go back? Well, in the past, uh, the office was a place to house your employees during certain hours. I don't want it to be a place to house employees. That's underutilizing it. I want it to be a place to maximize uh, the human interface in an AI-driven world. I want it to be a place to uh, you know, have those conversations at the water cooler. I want, In other words, I want to heighten communication, collaboration, innovation, and those types of things and provide that. Make sure that if you're coming in, we're going to be doing meaningful work together rather than you're in a cubicle and this is how I house you. Other, the second thing is not all humans are really good at monitoring themselves and efficient at working alone. Some people need human contact. They not, not virtual contact, not Zoom contact, human contact. And some people can thrive without it. Well, we need to kind of help understand who are the ones that are thriving without it and who are the ones that need it. So we're not just using a cookie cutter approach, but we're helping get people in who need to be in. Third thing is a lot of people moved out of the cities during COVID, uh, like New York and so on, because they didn't they didn't think the pandemic would ever end. Let's get out of the city. That's where you know death is happening. Well, once they moved out, it's kind of hard now because of home prices and interest rates to sell your house and move back. So there's got to be a little bit of flexibility there uh, because there's more more factors at work. So I think what I'm getting at is. It's a both-and approach versus an either-or. Either you're back or you're not. Either you're remote or you're in the office. Now, it's you're remote and in the office, but we're not going to do what we did in the past and underutilize the office. We're going to maximize people that come back, and we are also going to have remote. It's a both-and world. I love it. I think it's incredibly well put, and the companies and individuals that are most intentional around how they think about how they spend their time what is the office valuable for collaboration, connection, relationship development, the right types of activities in the right places will be the ones that finally get the most value out of the time they spend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dan, this is fantastic. Uh, I just one question, I guess, to, to wrap up. You talked about this a little bit, I think, earlier, but uh, for people who want to learn more about you, read what you're writing, maybe look at the other of the 25 predictions that you've made for the future, uh, where would you send them? Where should they go? Well, a key is to go to our, my website, which is B-U-R-R-U-S.com, Burris.com. Uh, there you can find all sorts of resources to download uh, and, and blogs that I've written and so on. And of course, uh, my latest book, The Anticipatory Organization, which has been a bestseller. I think you would get a kick out of reading that because you would learn more about hard trends and soft trends and problem skipping and many other cool things that, uh, that I'm sharing in there. And again, don't forget that AI tools report. Uh, it, people have loved that. And that is uh, going to AIStrategyReport.com. I think you would find a little bonanza there. Dan, I, I am so appreciative of you spending the time. I think you have a particular gift in taking what is a very daunting, complex, uncertain world and turning it into an actual roadmap that people can follow to try and figure out what are the right things to do. And 2024, just like any other year, the beginning of the year is a time of hope and you're thinking about your own personal roadmap and what you want to accomplish. So there's no better time to be thinking about that and starting your journey off the right way. So thank you so much for spending the time and imparting some of that wisdom with us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider giving us a rating or leaving a review as that helps other listeners find the podcast. For more Flex Index content, including past episodes, our Flex Index newsletter, and monthly research reports, visit flex.scoopforwork.com. See you next time.